Good morning. I'll bet you're glad to be here instead of in the rain. But just think about those campers. They've enjoyed all of God's goodness, every little bit of it. Sunshine, wind, rain, maybe even snow, I don't know. Well, I I decided to download Windows 10 right in the middle of preparing for this. It didn't go well. So I am your live entertainment. You're just going to see some words up there. If you can read, it works. Uh, If you can't read, it's okay. I'll just keep talking. And uh, so, anyway, uh, I was insulating a cabin when I was chosen for this particular subject. And I'll, I'll spring the subject on you in a second if you haven't already seen it. And I was itchy, and it was a terrible job, and it went on for a week, and I hated it. And the assembly planning committee got together, and they said, and, and I just said, listen, I can't make it. I, I went to Cardston just so I could, I could uh, email them. And I said, just, just put me down for anything in the next couple of weeks. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it when I get back to town. So I get back to town. And I think, well, I'm just going to look over the minutes of, of that meeting. And I'm going to see what they put me down for. I was voluntold. And uh, I'm reading a little bit. I'm thinking, oh, that's good, good. It looked like it was a really good meeting. And uh, this is for the kids here, okay? What I'm about to do, okay? But most of you know what I'm going to do if you know me. So we're, uh, I'm, I'm looking at this uh, thing, and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's fine. And then I think, oh, you know, Dustin is going to have to preach on uh, the church at its worst and its doctrinal stuff. I'm glad they haven't given me that one. And then, I don't know if this thing is going to work for me. I might have to, uh, which one is the slides? Is it like this? There it is. And so, I'm reading along. Oh, yeah, the church at its worst, I could probably handle that. I got to talk on on when we kill our wounded. That's what it was like. Okay, so. And then I'm thinking, well, I could probably just stand here like this and be uncomfortable for a few minutes, say a couple things, sit down, don't be too accusatory, it'll all work okay. Then I'm thinking, well, it can't be that bad. I'll just read the synopsis of what we're talking about. There we go. Sometimes we fail to give even those in the church the benefit of the doubt, to see the reality of their situations, to offer grace and forgiveness, judgment of each other, self-righteousness, the self-promoting defense of our own self-esteem, unwillingness to put ourselves in the shoes of another, unwillingness to admit our own vulnerabilities to sin, unwillingness to humble ourselves and forgive others. Sometimes we cause further grief to those in the church who feel guilty and wounded and would rather, rather than offering them healing. And so I took another sip while I was reading that about what I've got to talk about this morning. But I didn't spit it out because I just cleaned up the computer from the last one. So I didn't do that again. I thought, that's too much work. There we go. So I thought the other thing I could do too is that since 
is such a, a terrible topic and no one wants to be accused of any of that stuff, even though we're probably all guilty of it at one time or another, no one's going to make eye contact with me. So I'm just going to have to, just going to have to talk and talk and talk and talk. And then I'm going to clap my hands or something so that somebody looks up. And as soon as they look up, I'm going to go, shame on you. And walk off the stage. I hope he asked Bruce about that microphone. I did. It's okay. I've studied these things. They're, they're, they're pretty tolerant of uh, abuse. But neither of those things are going to happen this morning. We'll, we'll get through it as quickly as we can. But we do need to think about it. Uh, and kids, who, who here is uh, between the ages of 4 and 10? Okay. Maybe you've got a little bit of math skills, maybe not so many. I've decided when I, when I was 20, I get to repeat myself twice. And when I'm 30, I get to repeat myself three times. And you're going to hear some repetition. If you've ever heard me before, you're going to hear me say some things I've said before. That's just the way it is. When I was 40, I decided I could repeat myself four times. And when I was 50, I decided I could repeat myself five times. And now that I'm 60, I've decided that I can repeat myself, and unless math has completely lost me at 60, I can repeat myself 37 times. But just that whoever the parent is of that child that correctly answered, tell them they were correct. So kids, what we're talking about this morning and if you, if, you, if you blank out, it's okay. What we're talking about this morning is when we, when we imagine what somebody else thinks. Maybe in school, we think, oh, I know what that person's thinking. Well, we actually don't. And sometimes we talk to our friends about what another person's like. And when they hear about it, they're very hurt by that, aren't they? And sometimes, we might be the one that somebody else is talking about. And when we find out about it, we're very hurt about it too. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, the damage we do with that. <clears throat> this church has been around for about 100 years. But for us to remain the size we are, it takes some work. And what I mean is to keep the size down to where we are. Inside the walls of this church, we have to take 100% responsibility for how we do things. One of the things that keeps a church from growing, or our church from growing, is this idea of this judgmentalism and, and judgment. Because it, it slowly has takes on collateral damage. And so, We've had hundreds of people walk through our doors. Come in, some stay, some leave. About half of them we, we wouldn't be able to do anything with anyway. All right? And there's others that have come here to, to, because they think they'll get more money if they're here. But there's about half of the people that have come through here we, we actually could have done something with had we decided to walk along with them. And so that's, that's, that's the ones that I think are, are more damaged by this thing up here that we're talking about this morning. 
the best way to know what we'll do over the next hundred years as a church is what we've done for the past hundred years. That's the best indication. We won't get a better indication than that. And that's just the way life works. It's the way humans work. Unless there is some significant intervention, the last hundred years are forecast of the next hundred years. Now, some of you might think, well, that's okay. But if we're going to deal with a component of why things sort of stay the way they are, this is one of those components. And we don't deal with this every Sunday. It gets downloaded on someone like me, and we're good to go for another few years. So because of the nature of this subject, a lot of this morning, I'm going to just use the I word, okay? I don't want to accuse anybody of anything. You're going to know if you've made some sort of judgment you shouldn't have or you keep doing it, or if you've been judged. You're going to know. I don't have to tell you. So I'll just use I and let the cards fall where they may. <clears throat> we all make some sort of judgments. And one of the reasons I'm wearing this coat this morning is, is because of judgments. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But we tend to judge each other even, even with the TV shows we watch. If someone says, I, I watch Simpsons, well, we make some sort of judgment about them, right? It, it may be benign, but we make some sort of assumption about that person. By the way, um, if they watch Saturday Night Live, we make some sort of assumption about them. I'll just tell you now, I've watched it for 40 years, and I'm going to use an example from it later. So let the judgments fly. How I'm dressed. You see, I could, I could come all the time dressed like this. I, I don't normally dress like this. I don't normally shave for Sunday morning. I did for this morning. Um... Because Michael Coughlin said, anytime you get up there, John, I need you to shave. And I said, okay, Mike, I'll shave. And so I shaved. And I appreciate Mike and the work he does in, in this assembly planning. So, all of my life, when I was a child, people said, well, you should make these other shorter people behave because I was taller than the others. And as an adult, I don't know if it's how I carry myself, what I learned from my father, I don't know if it's genetic, but everybody walks up to me thinking I've got the answer to their question. And when I put on a suit, it gets even worse. They have no idea that I'm just pulling stuff out of the air. I'm making it up as I go along. I don't know anything. I think one of the reasons I... I study so hard apologetics and Christian evidence and whatever else, some of the stuff Ronnie was talking about this morning, or just the Bible itself. It's because I figure someone's going to ask me, and i got to have an answer, and I can't keep them from asking me, so I'm just going to have to study it out. So I don't look like an idiot or like this when they ask me the question. But people make judgments, and I have no idea why they make that judgment about me. But I am just pulling stuff out of the air. I, I am making it up as I go along. And I'm hoping nobody ever finds out. I hope I'm never in front of an audience and tell them something like that. Because that would just blow the whole thing. 
that would blow my cover. When I was in Australia, now you see how dark I am now. I was way darker than this as a child. And I had black curly hair. Now, do you know what Australians look like? They even, some of them even have blonde eyebrows. They're not just blonde. So, you got a class of 40 children, all blonde, some with blonde eyebrows, and you have little dark me standing there. Judgments like crazy. Teachers, too. I wasn't immune from that. Humans make judgments based on what they see. It's not accurate most of the time, but we do it. And unfortunately, in churches, we fall into that category. We just do it. And, and, and we need to try to catch ourselves, but it's going to happen. And I'm not trying to beat you up for that. I'm just saying it happens. What I really, really want this morning is for us to come away thinking to ourselves, okay, I'm going to make this church a safe place for John. And what I'm going to do is make this a safe place for you. And to do that, we have to really, really watch the kind of things we go through in our head or that we talk over the the kitchen dinner table on Sunday about other people in the church because eventually that stuff leaks out. Eventually we say it when someone's listening and it hurts. So that's the idea. That's that's what I want to go this way. So this is the hard stuff and we'll get into some solutions just in a few minutes. Let's define judgment. Judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when, we've got, when there's a guy that says, I'm a follower of Jesus, but he is sleeping with his father's wife. Essentially, he's living in the camp of Satan, isn't he? But he likes all the love that he gets by being part of the Jesus followers. And Paul says, you can't allow this to happen. And so there is judgment that has to take place in a church. Absolutely. But that's not the judgment we're talking about this morning. The kind of judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you read it, there's no possible way those people could have made that judgment if they didn't know this person. A lot of our judgment has to do, we don't know the person. We just make the judgment. And it's this judgment at a distance that is so harmful. Judgment when we walk with somebody is accurate. We've talked about it with them. They, they understand. We, we, we love them. We know them. We walk with them. There's another kind of judgment. Let me just use Wayne as an example. Now, he's agreed to this. Would you stand up, please, Wayne? Now, let's just say I'm sitting here and I'm saying... I'm thinking about all kinds of things about why this guy's doing what he's doing. Now, God tells us we can't know this. That's why Matthew chapter 7, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. He talks about the speck in your, uh, in your brother's eye while we have a log in our own trying to take the speck out of a brother's eye. It has to do with the rush to being judge, uh, judgmental. So, Here I'm saying, uh, Wayne's probably doing that because. Do I know what because is? If I don't know Wayne, how would I know? 
No, no. Okay. So little does anyone know that in both of our minds, there's usually just a clear tone. That's okay. But we're trying to make an example here. So (laughs) I'm assuming what's going on in his mind or why he's doing something. There's no possible way I can know that. Now, let's just say Wayne here, he comes up, he comes every day or every week to church, and he's, he feels judged by everyone here. Let's just say he wears his work clothes, and I'm always like this. And he thinks I'm judging him. He doesn't know about the clear tone. Um, he can't possibly know what's in my mind, can he? God says so. Even if he knows me well, he won't know everything because I don't even know what goes on in my mind all the time. But he would stand a better chance of understanding me if he walks with me. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks very much. Uh, But if we're, we're always at a distance and we're always making judgments about a person, what we're really saying is what's in our own heart. And this should scare the living daylights out of us. As I think about what's going on in his mind or why he's doing something, that needs to alert me to the fact that everything I'm thinking about him is coming out of my heart. That's the only place it can come from. So as I make a judgment of someone else that I am not willing to walk beside, I'm really only discovering who I am. I'm not discovering who they are at all. And if you carry nothing else out of this, I'd like you to carry this. But every time I put up a slide, I'm going to say, and if you carry nothing else out of this day, carry that, right? So that's one of those things that we really, really have to be aware of. A judgment from a distance creates collateral damage in churches. But things are not always as they seem. A lot of what we do is genetically predisposed. Take someone who irritates us because they move too slowly. Or if you're a slow person, because they move too fast. Is there anything right or wrong about that? Not really. We we couldn't ascribe an ethical value. Well, okay. We can ascribe all kinds of moral and ethical values to stuff like that. The, The problem is it's false. But as we go through our day, we have no idea about the genetic predisposition of a person. We watch them do whatever they do, and they may really irritate us, but we're probably predisposed genetically another way. Uh, There's a documentary called Happy. And if you've seen that, they talk about our genetic set point. I'm more of a positive person. I I tend to see things in a positive way, just automatically. Sheila, I'm married to, she sees things in sort of a negative way. Um, (laughs) And the sparks fly! well, <laughs> this is, there's no right or wrong about it. Now, hey, Mr. Happy here, Mr. Positive, I would love to ascribe 
a moral value or an ethical value to that so that I could get on my high moral horse and tell her that she's got to change, right? But the reality is that my positive set point and her negative set point, neither of them are actually reality. I actually need someone to to drag me down. That's what I need. Now, I, I need someone to to inform me. <laughs> she wrote the whole sermon for me. Don't worry about it. Uh, I need someone to inform me or, or to alter my view because the way I look at the world, I guarantee you it's not real. That insulation job that I was telling you about at that cabin, ah, two days I'll be done. I got the insulation to do, got the sound barrier to do, got the, the wrap. Two days, I'll be done, right? Eight days later, I'm angry. And then, of course, I come back and see that I've got this subject today. Um, and, and I never want to see that place again. The last day there was 13 hours. And one of my son-in-laws luckily came down that last day and put in 13 hours with me. But my, my genetic set point is a, is a lie. It's just a lie. I mean, like, I, there, there's no possible way things really happen the way I think they're going to or, or, or will. Because my set point's way up here. And for Sheila and others, like, if, if you've got that lower set point, like sort of that negative you set point, there's nothing wrong about that. But we do have to work at bringing it up sort of to reality as I have to bring mine down to reality. But there's nothing, there's no ethical or moral value to that a genetic set point. Now, there's some people that will, will come through our doors that have emotional problems that are part of their genetics. And they may never get rid of those until the day they see God. And we have to be able to tend to them and help them and walk alongside them. And what I'm going to tell you is that the solution to all this is simple, but it's hard. It's simple, and it's hard. I shouldn't even use the word but. I don't even know why I did that. Maybe it's a genetic set point. See, what happens, I think, with the 50% of the people who come through our doors that that we need to take responsibility for, and I more than a lot of you in this audience. If you've been here two months, you can have two months of responsibility. I've got 30 years of responsibility here. But we are responsible for what happens inside these walls. If you're a visitor today, take this home with you. No culpability to you today. I'm letting you off the hook. I just wish I had a coffee to give you. What happens so often is that the judgments from a distant are an assassination by silence and disassociation. And when people finally leave, they leave because they've died a slow death of neglect. There's a book out. It's not part of the title here. Dwight L. Carson wrote a book, Why Christians Shoot Their Wounded. I don't think that's most of the time the problem. 
unless you go back a couple decades ago and, and you look at the way we doctrinally shot people. We don't do that anymore. But those judgments, those judgments from a distance when we're not willing to bear another person's burdens and, and walk with them and share their pain and their laughter, they die a slow death and neglect. And I think that's the way most people leave. As I said, the solution is simple and it's hard. Are you with me? It's hard. This is great. But we only talk about this once in a while. All right. High moral ground. That usually comes with judgment. Somehow. In our psyche somewhere. And if people don't go to church often enough, if they don't sit down to communion enough, this is, just, this is rampant in our society, the high moral ground. But we never had it. God knows we never had it. We still don't have it. How about now? Nope. Anybody familiar with the 12 steps through AA? A few of you. Step number four. We take a fearless and thorough moral inventory. And we lay that before God. We admit to ourselves, to God, and to another person about how we have done wrong. And we're very specific. And I think judgment is one of those things that I, could, that I could say for sure. I could say that every, almost every day, every week. Judgment in some form or other that I would have to lay before the feet of God. You see, all of us gave up the high moral ground the day we went into the waters of baptism. We said to God and to everybody else here, I'm going to give up my agenda and I'm going to trade it in for God's. God, help me, that's what I want to do. And so we do. But at that point, we lose the high moral ground. Never to get it back again. Jesus has the high moral ground. And if we do anything, we use his high moral ground to make our judgments. We don't use ours. If we're a member here of this church, we admit to brokenness of one form or another. I admit to brokenness whenever I walk through those doors. And that's why communion, I think, is, is such an important thing for us to do regularly. I know some churches just do it once a month. Some do it every day. Some, some do it once a year. It is so important for us to sit with those, those symbols of what Jesus gave to us and remember, I'm a broken person and I sit with other broken people. Now, some of you may see me look around during communion. I'll tell you what I'm doing. Unless, well, there's two reasons I look around during communion. One of them is to see if there's enough servers, if I need to jump up and, and do that. The other, though, is I'm saying to myself, my brother and my sister, my sister, my brother, my brother, my sister, my brother, my brother, my sister, my sister, my brother, my sister. That's what I'm saying to myself. 
I'm reminding myself that I'm one of you. And based on the fact that I'm a third culture kid who feels like he doesn't belong anywhere, I need to do that. Or I will begin to imagine that you're judging me. And that's just as wrong as me judging someone else. It's a judgment. It's a judgment for which I have no evidence whatsoever. But it wells up inside me because I'm a third culture kid. You can study that one out, a third culture kid. Some of you are that way. About 5 or 10% of you will be that way. Are we forgiven? Yes, absolutely. Are we broken? Yes, absolutely. Walking with. So we need to walk with people rather than making judgments from a distance. Food for the hungry. And let me get this right. The Chalmers Center for Economic Development have turned the model of giving to third world countries or poor people in their own city on its head. They said, just handing people money, food, it doesn't work. It is showing them complete disrespect. What I'm saying is, I am materially better off than you. You need what I have. And we've convinced them of it. And so world over, people are always looking to the Western world to give them something. And a lot of plans that are done locally just fall flat on their face because everybody's still waiting for something to come from the Western world. What these people have done have said, yes, I understand. I can go to corporations. I can get all kinds of money from them to dump truckloads of food out of airplanes for hungry people. Well, they don't actually dump the trucks. Just the amount of stuff that would fit in the truck, they put in a plane and they dump it out. He says, I can get all kinds of money for that. But to try to get money to send people over there to walk with these folks and to find out what God is doing among them and to find out where their gifts lie so that they can honor God with those gifts, he says, that's like pulling teeth. But it is ultimately absolutely successful because it's God's model. Walking with another person is God's model. Now, it's an uncomfortable thing. I said it was simple, and it's hard. There's a a huge challenge, and we have to go through this another time. It's a huge challenge to get past comfort. In our own lives, you know the astronauts, when they come out of space, can they salute? How do they salute? Kids, how do they salute? Like this. You know why they salute like that? Because they don't have any muscles left. They don't have the challenge of gravity to maintain their muscle mass. They have to build it up again. Some of them never do build it all up again after they come from outer space or if they've been up there for six months. The problem with with comfort is that it equals decay. It equals that for muscle mass. It equals that for churches. And so often we would rather take the comfortable route. We'd like everything to look good. We take the comfortable route. 
But the only end of that is decay. Challenge is the only thing that makes us better. It makes our muscles stronger. It makes our thinking systems better. It makes churches vibrant. But we often don't choose challenge. It's so easy to choose comfort. I, I told you it was simple, and it's hard. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, there's some component that we've been talking about this morning that has to be there for this to work. We have to be able to walk with someone. We have to be a part of their lives if we're even going to see the sin in the first place. We can't actually fulfill God's needs or God's wants and his desires if we can't walk with people. And here's the other thing. All of us broken. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And in this reading, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Food for the Hungry, Chalmers Center for Economic Development, they go to people in inner cities and over the world as broken people, as one broken person to another. And in this setting here, inside these walls, we need to be communicating as one broken person to another. We're all just broken in different ways. It's simple and it's hard, and God is going to help us do it. And there's something I'm, I need to let you know, and I, I will in just a minute. There's something that we already do here that will help us in this, if, if we really use it the way it needs to be used. So to set ourselves up to walk with people, to get past that that, that discomfort that's involved in that, what do we need to do? First of all, we need to know who's got our back. Now, if we're here this morning, we believe God has our back, don't we? So there you go. We've already got, we've already got a cheerleader and a helper. It's simple and it's hard, and God will help us. We have nothing to lose worth keeping and everything of value to gain. Think to yourself, when you know someone's struggling, you think, ah, I've got some stuff to do. I'm asking you to weigh that at that moment. I'm asking you to weigh that decision. What am I going to give up that's worth keeping? Just, just weigh that question, please, at that moment. Because all of us are going to have that at one point or another. We're going to... We're going to say, uh, yeah, well, that, person, that person needs some help right now. And we're going to know, and you all know ahead of time, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be work. And I have to ask myself, uh, John, what do you plan to do in place of the work that God just called you to do? And that's a real, that's a real war. But it's a battle we need to let Jesus win. 
<clears throat> the thing is, you have plenty to offer. Now, if, if you've been married for a long time, you've done well financially, you may think you don't have anything to offer person who is in dire straits, emotionally or spiritually. But the thing is, you do have something to offer. Now, we don't want to offer it if we don't know somebody. Uh, what's Dr. Phil's question? What's his standard line when somebody goes on and on and on about how things are terrible for them? He says, how's that working for you so far? And then they go on and on and on, and then you say, okay, but how is that working for you so far? Now, you've made some sort of judgment because I, I watched Dr. Phil on my way through the kitchen going to the basement, and I've heard him say this. And you've made a second judgment because I have a TV in the kitchen. <laughs> I'll just let those ones go. <laughs> yes, I, I've watched Dr. Phil. I do have a TV in the kitchen. All right. I've said it. But Dr. Phil, you, you could say that to me. If I know you love me, if you've been willing to make yourself part of my life, you can ask me that question. You can say, John, how's that working for you so far? Because you love me. That's why you can ask me that question. And, and I'll take it from you. I have a son-in-law. He's not sitting here right now. He's, he's keeping the babies quiet. Uh, my daughters, my wife, oftentimes, they've been with me so long, they, they won't see things that I do that I shouldn't do or think or, or say. My son-in-laws, however, that's completely different. My son-in-laws can hold my feet to the fire. But I don't mind because I know, and they won't say love, they, they, they won't say that word. But I know they love me. And so they can get in my grill and say something that I don't want to hear. But it's because they're part of my life. Now, we can do that. Now, you may think, well, you know, so you're part of somebody's life, but you think, well, you know, I, things have gone so well for me. And if I was to ask a couple that hasn't really had much uh, turmoil in their life. I don't know if I'd find them. But even if you haven't had a bad marriage, what might the wife say about the husband? Well, you know, he made it easy for me to love him. That right there is something you can share. And it would be a man sharing that with a young man, saying, you know, you could make it easy for her to love you. You can share that. Now, there are ladies in this church, maybe not here today, or there may be ladies in the future in this church, that if they think they've messed up their lives completely. They might be on their second marriage, third marriage, they might have had a baby out of wedlock. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is right now. What matters is you've had time to follow Jesus and to look at what Jesus wants you to do and to compare that with what you've done and say, you know, if I had it to do over again, I'd do it this way. 
you need to share that with the young ladies who are under pressure right now in this church to sleep with their dates. You need to share that, but you can't share it if you're not willing to be part of their life. You've got valuable information. My brother was offended one time when I said, you know, I just look at what you do and I do the opposite. (laughs) It's valuable information. Somebody slips on the ice in front of you. What are you going to do? You're going to go very cautiously past that spot, aren't you? When somebody messes up, that's great information. That's information. It's got to be shared, but it can only be shared as part of a relationship. I told you I watched Saturday Night Live. Well, have you ever ever seen uh, Chris Farley do Matt Foley, the motivational speaker? He talks about he's got to make a living somehow, so he's... He's there talking to, to maybe some kids who aren't obeying their parents, and he's going to tell them what everything's about. And he's like this. And he's got the hands like this, the motivational speaker. And he says, I am thrice divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. And it's great. You see, even a Matt Foley has something to share with a young man who he doesn't want to have three divorces every experience we have that conflicts with the word of God or being a follower of Jesus that is valuable information that we can share with our brothers and sisters we have nothing to lose that's worth keeping and everything of value to gain it's simple and it's hard and God is going to help us and we're going to love it And this is where we're already doing something that we need to be doing, and that is small groups. Within the confines of these walls, we can't always pick up when someone's upset. But in a small group, we can. And those are like gold in a church. We've already got part of the solution in our hands to make this a healthy, vibrant, growing church. Sustained growth over the next hundred years. Small groups are of such value. And it could just be having breakfast with someone, the two of you, on a regular basis. You could play pool together. I don't care what it is. But you all know that Jesus is your Lord. And in those small groups... Somewhere between 2 and 12 people. If you're over 12 people, you're moving into the comfort zone. You need to break it down a little bit, at least while you're together. Because I guarantee if it's over 12 people, there are things that you're missing right now. Things that are going on that you don't think are going on. And people are crumbling inside. And so you need to break it down into smaller groups. It is in those small groups that we learn who people are that we are able to walk alongside them, to carry their burdens, to forgive them. And they can carry our burdens. But that's where it is, right there. We're already doing that. And that's a good thing. We have nothing to lose that's worth keeping and everything to gain.